And we are live. Welcome, everybody, here on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel. It is up in flames, and we are back. And once again, I am your host, Mo Murphy, and I got two special guests in the building making their up in flames debut today. I got my guy, Urson, and I got my guy, JP, in the building. Long overdue for the both of them to get on here and talk hoops. They've been doing a lot of great work, a lot of recaps. Urson been doing a lot of scouting reports, deep diving into these college prospects. College basketball season is right around the corner. So before we get into all that, before we really start talking NBA, we'll be back right after this message. Warning. You are now listening to Up in Flames. We up in flames, yeah. We up in flames, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Let me hear it, Lambo. We up in flames. We up in flames. We up in flames, yeah, we up in flames, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 we up in flames, yeah, yeah, uh, we up in flames, hold on, uh, check this go. We up in flames, yeah, uh, we up in, uh, yeah, yeah, we up in flames, yeah, woo. We up in, uh, yeah, we up in flames, we up in flames. Yes, sir. Hey, so I told y'all, welcome here to another episode of Up in Flames here on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel. And I told y'all I got some special guests. Now, if you're if you're watching this live and you saw that nice intro, and the main man, the creator of the Up in Flames intro, my guy, JP, a.k.a. the franchise over here at Off the Ball Network, a.k.a. is just JP, a.k.a. Mr. 20K Views on YouTube. Yeah. Jayden, what's going on, bro? How are you doing today? Man, I am man, I'm so happy to be on Up in Flames finally. I am so ready to just talk hoops. Thank you so much for having me, man. Us and what's happening, brother, too, as well. Yeah, so JP passed it. My guy Urson. Now y'all might know him as the guy who, who he dives deep into, you know, player prospects. He's the overseas guru over here at the Off the Ball Network. He tells us everything we need to know about prospects. He just recently dropped a big board. You need to throw that in the person. What's going on, bro? Thanks for having me. I'm honored. You know, being the Open Flames podcast was on definitely in my bucket list. But being here, I'm honored, bro. And yeah. this fire intro, I appreciate it, man. It was the best yes, intro today. Yeah, so you know, I'm definitely glad to have you on. Uh, this is your guys in Up in Flames. And, you know, this is your guys' debut. So, obviously, uh, I don't know if you're coming, coming in choppy. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Well, we might, we might have to walk through and walk through with that. Um, but this is your guys' Up in Flames. This is your guys' debut. So, we're going to make this about y'all. We're going to talk about the early struggles. Of some of these players in the NBA, there's been some likely, likely MVP candidates. Uh, we'll, we'll all get into that here soon, but we're going to talk about the, the, the early season struggles. I'm going to start with you. Early season struggles. We know the new rules have happened. Um, and it's a lot of players. We're used to putting up a lot of buckets. So, JP, what is one of the biggest things you've noticed when, when, when we're talking about some of the early season struggles and why offensive 
numbers have been down. Yeah, um, so, you know, the new ball, you know, went from the Spalding ball to the Wilson ball. A lot of people are really struggling with that. We're playing that new, you know, brand of basketball with the Wilson ball and everything. You can see Paul George tweeting out or talking about his complaints about the Wilson ball. That's one of that's probably one why you see a lot of people struggling offensively. The second, you know, a lot of people are used to just getting their foul calls and going to the free throw line like 10, 15 uh 10 to 15 free throws a game like James Harden does, you know, like because he can get away with these foul calls and all that. So could Embiid and Trey Young. But since now, you know, you got these new rule changes and all that, it just makes people want to, they have to play basketball. They really have to play basketball and they have to figure the they have to figure it out. It's like, well, I'm not gonna get these foul calls and all that. So I really have to play in terms of just, you know. Trying to find a way to help my team win and everything. So yeah, these move changes are really like really affecting some of the like star players and everything. So and it was really interesting to see. You hear a lot of people complain, like Trey Young's tweeting out just the complaints of the referees and these rule changes and all that because he's struggling so far this season. So, so JP, I say all that, and and you bring up. Um, you ultimately bring up that, that these guys are struggling based on the rules. What is it? Because we, we had a we had a debate back and forth. Uh, before we get to Ursa, we had a debate back and forth. And I understand that the rules have taken effect um, into how the game is played. I don't think it's good. And to me, you're kind of separating the ball players from the guys who benefit from the rules. So what do you think the biggest thing is why when we look at and we'll talk about him the individual a little bit later. Well, what do you think the difference is on why we talk about, like, Jimmy Butler might be leading the MVP race, and he probably will be 9-10, second-team All-NBA at best, how he was last year. Why is it that Jimmy Butler, it hasn't affected his game at all, but a guy like Dame Lillard, Steph Curry, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, why do you think their numbers are down and Jimmy Butler looks like one of the best players in the NBA so far based on the rule changes? Uh, Jimmy Butler, you know, is one of those players that is just like, you know, he's just like a hard worker and will just like go in and just go from the ground up and just play. You know, he don't really care about the foul calls or the complaints of the, you know, free throws and everything. He's just going to go and play ball and all that and just plays consistent and all that. And, he, you know, like I said, Jimmy Butler haven't been healthy last season. So it's the first time we see him kind of healthy this season and showing that he could really play and all that. A lot of people will bounce back because I know he didn't really have a great season last year and that's just mainly because of health and his numbers been down and everything so then this show like you know it's just like a new mentality it's a new season he's like how i'm going to start it off and everything with his team and everything so jimmy butler's just been playing wonderful just because you know he's not one of those players that just complains about the foul calls and all that if he doesn't get the fouls he's still going to keep going he's still a dog he's still hard working he's still going to get after it uh for people like stealth and trey and all that they rely on just, you know, pump faking and trying to get the foul calls on the three-point shots and everything because it's just like an easy call so that they don't have to work harder for it. So now mm -hmm. you have to work harder just to, like, really, like, play in terms of just getting your numbers up and try to help your team win and try to get to the free throw line and everything. Um, it, it's, it's just really interesting just to see just the dynamic and just how people just really struggle and all that. But I guess it's just going to take time for them just to really figure it out just to get them – get the rhythm and flow going. Yeah. Um, Steph Curry, guys, am I still coming in a little oh, damn. All right. Well, anyway, so I look at Steph Curry. I look at some of these guys. And, uh, overall, I think that um, 
You know, their, their numbers are a little bit affected, but I think it's just because they do have to get used to the rules. But then you look at Steph Curry, and he still looks like an MVP candidate. Yep. Um, he's still playing absolutely amazing. He's yep. arguably playing, you know, the best player on the best team in the NBA. Yep. The Warriors definitely have, you know, they're 7-1. and one. They have an argument to be considered the best player in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So, first, and I want to throw it to you. Uh, what do you think is going on with some of these top players having early season struggles based on numbers? And overall, some of these teams' offensive numbers have gone down tremendously to where the new rules where they're not giving ticky-tack fouls. And I know you talked about this on Shooter Shoot. So, you know, definitely hats off to Kenneth really pretty much having the same conversation with you. Yeah. But what is it about some of the early season struggles that you're looking at and you're like, you know what? It's impacted some of the top players, some of the top scorers in the league. So what is it that you're seeing that 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 kind of has you looking at basketball in a different aspect right now? Well, if I look compared to last season, you know, some of it is just early struggles, just early, a bad start. Like Lillard, I don't think it's a structural problem for him, but, you know, his three-point shooting is killing him. Even in the close games, port the loss, actually, it's all on him, you know. If he hits a couple of those, then it's a whole situ- a different situation. But overall, I think the rule changes had an effect, you know, for especially Harden, for Trey Young, for John Moran. Because if you look at the free throw attempts last season, in the top 15, there was like six guards, you know. Oh, yeah. This season, there are like three. Only Trey, John Morant, and, you know, Zach Levine. And I think that's impacting them, you know, because these guys are used to playing in a certain way to get these fouls, to get their offense that way, you know. And now they're getting offensive fouls instead of the free throws and it's hurting their team. So... But I think the really great players will always adjust to the rules, you know. And you saw it with James Harden last year at like 13, 40 free throw attempts. And Trey Young the same, you know. So I don't think it's a structural problem, but I do think the rule changes are good in that way that, you know, actually in last season, in the last two, three minutes, it was a game of chess, you know. They used those fouls or the coaches' challenges, another example, just to steal some time, take the pace out of the game. I think the coaches' challenge changed as well. That is a good thing for the NBA to keep the speed of the game going, you know, especially for teams that are trailing. It will make it more fair for them because I've seen a lot of situations where, you know, the team's up by four, by five. The last two minutes, it, the foul doesn't even count, but they challenge it, you know. If you have a challenge ready, you challenge it. Even if you know it isn't uh, a challenge worth to be using a challenge for. But I think overall, I don't think the bad start certain players has are structural problems, you know. It's just adapting to a new situation on one hand and just early season struggles on the other hand. Yeah, and I'm with you. So I go back to that, and we had this argument. We had it with, you know, me and JP was going back and forth. Not an argument as far as, you know, hashing out, but we, we had a conversation. We had a debate. And I talked about it with my guy, JP, who obviously here is on the show. And I also talked about it with my guy, Steven. And, and he believes that because guys have been playing – a certain way so long that the rule changes, they're going to have to adapt. And, and yeah. I hear them. Like, I, yeah. I do think that the rule changes have taken an effect on how guys are playing basketball. But what I'm looking at, I don't think they should. It is my point. Like, I don't think Trey Young, guys like Trey Young and Lucas numbers should be taking a dip for the simple fact you now have to play ball. Like, that's what we're looking at. Now you have to play ball and you see the ball players are not impacted. Even Steph Curry. Some of his numbers are impacted, but he still averages like 28 points a game. Yeah. He hasn't took much of a dip as far as scoring. So I look at Jimmy Butler, who like 
in a lot of people's eyes, Jimmy Butler's kind of leading the MVP race. It's so early that we're not fully thinking about an MVP right now, but Jimmy Butler is leading the MVP race right now. I think he's probably the best player on one of the two, the best three teams uh, in the league right now. But that can't be a coincidence that the rule changes and guys like Jimmy Butler who don't depend on getting to the free throw line 10 to 12 times a game, guys who just sit there and play ball with Jimmy Butler ultimately end up looking uh, really well. So, JP, I'm going to start with you. Before we get into, like, our most impressive guys, because clearly I've, I've named his name a few times, so y'all know one of mine. But what is it with guys like Jimmy Butler where, like, his game hasn't been affected by the rule changes right now? Like you say, he just plays ball, you know, and, you know, he doesn't, like I say, he doesn't complain about any foul calls and all that. He plays consistent. He'll do whatever it takes to win the game, whether it's offense or whether it's defense and all that. You know, um, last year he wasn't really healthy and wasn't really putting up the consistent numbers and everything. So, you know, probably Pat Wilder had to talk with him this year. Eric Spolstra had to talk with him this year. It's like, look, you are a guy, you know, you are best player and everything. Like, you will, you will need to leave this team you know you got Bam you got Kyle Lowry you know they probably talked to Tyler Hero because Tyler Hero is just you know unbelievable just because you know he's playing you know he's probably gonna win six men of the year if he keeps playing like that so Jimmy has been playing unbelievable just because he just plays ball and just gets after it and everything yeah and, and so I definitely believe you know we, we talk about Miami and we're looking at Miami and they have you know possibly the MVP and the, the leading candidate for six man of the year. So, Urson, we're going we're gonna, to, we're, you know what? We're going to go straight into it. We're going to go to most impressive. So, if you haven't understood already, some of my most impressive players, obviously I'm a Miami Heat fan, so it's a little bit biased. If you're watching live, yes, I have a Los Angeles Lakers hat. I wear hats based on outfits. It's not about the team. Uh, you'll never see me wear Michigan. You'll never see me wear the New York Giants, Philadelphia Eagles, or Washington. But outside of that, you'll never see me wear a Yankees hat. Uh, or a Toronto Blue Jays hat either for the simple fact I'm a Rays fan. Outside of that, I'm, I'm open to wearing any hat if it matches my outfit. But I'm a Miami Heat fan. And so when I look at when I, when I look at the Miami Heat, they, they've been one of the most impressive teams. They added Kyle Lowry. I was one of the most critical guys as far as Kyle Lowry um, actually making a huge impact. But he kind of has. And, and offensively, his numbers haven't. But it's open the floor for Jimmy Butler. I've had some arguments where people where I still don't love the Kyle Lowry take, but, you know, as far as the addition, because I'm looking three years from now. We signed a guy who was 36 yeah. years old, and we signed him for three years, almost $90 million, like $86 million. So we're almost pay we're paying a guy for the next three years almost $30 million. And I think by year two and maybe even year three, he won't be worth half of that. But for right now, it's working, and Miami looks absolutely amazing. So Urson. I'm going to go with you first before I really dive deep into why I think they're the, one of the most impressive teams with some of the most impressive players. When we talk about most impressive players, teams, coaches, I don't care which route you go, who are some of the who who have been some guys that through the first 3 weeks of the NBA season have impressed you the most? Well, I'm going to start off with some sleepers. I think Buddy Hield from the Sacramento Kings is absolutely phenomenal this season, man. I think the Kings did a great job, you know, putting him on the bench, not starting any, anymore. And he's playing as a sixth man, and he's chalking up threes, man. And he's leading the NBA in three points made with 40. He's at the number one spot. But you are, you also said it, man. I was going to say Jimmy Butler, you know, because Jimmy Butler is a dog, man. 
I think this whole rule change has really uh, in, uh, improved him, you know, because the foul shots he earns are legit foul shots. You know, he's not uh, drawing fouls just for the art of drawing fouls, but he's working for his free throws, man. I think that deserves a lot of respect. I think he's the one of the only players that hasn't really been affected by the new rule change. Yeah, even, he was even shooting more from the free throw line. That's something to really respect a lot, man. And Erson, you you bring up a simple fact that, and that would be my argument. Like when when me and Stephen were having a debate, Stephen over there on breaking the game, which you will hear after my show, who will probably give you you know. He'll he'll dive deep into a shout out to my guy Steven over there at breaking the game. Um and, and you you also can check him out at Draft Capital. Just quick plug for my guy Steven. Much love over there. We have great hoops conversation. But we did have a debate back and forth about ultimately the rule changes. And where I look at it is like we're talking about Dame, we're talking about Steph, da da da. But then like Jimmy Butler hasn't been affected by the rule changes. And so like I constantly say, it's it separates who the ballers were and who the were who yeah. took advantage of whatever rules were. And I'm not saying Trey yeah. Young or anybody, Dame Lillard. I'm not saying any of those guys who numbers have took a dip. James Harden are bad basketball players. I don't expect them to continue at this poor pace for what we're used to seeing of Dame and James Harden and Trey Young. But what I'm saying is they were guys who realized what the rules were, took advantage of the rules, and implemented that in their games and kind of depended on that on their game. And so, like Steven said, when you're used to playing one way for 10 years, 12 years, whatever, it's going to take an adjustment. You can't expect a guy to change in three weeks. And I fully agree with that statement. That's one of the most accurate statements I've heard when we talk about the, the switch. So, JP... I'm going to go to you and I'm going to talk about, you know, I want to hear some of your most impressive. Who have you been most impressed with through the first three weeks in the NBA season? Uh, Jordan Poole has been amazing for the Warriors. Um, you know, everybody talk about, you know, Steph Curry, you know, Steph Curry has been playing unbelievable, but Jordan Poole just being like that second um, option for the Warriors, he's been playing just fabulous. And, you know, Olsen said the Sacramento Kings, Harrison Barnes took a step up this year and because uh, Fox is struggling right now and he's been taking charge and Buddy Hill's playing wonderful. Davian Mitchell, that Wookiee in Sacramento, they've been playing good. They're mediocre team it kind of surprised me a little bit and everything so i've been really impressed with the miles bridges from the hornets even though he's been really impressive because you know you think Lamelo ball you know he's having a good season too but miles bridges just took it a step notch and i think he won play of the week one week and he's been playing consistent having really good numbers and playing defense too as well so i've been really impressive everybody can talk about you know john moran from the grizzlies he's been playing great too if it wasn't for john moran playing out of his minds the grizzlies wouldn't go anymore because you think jerry jackson jr would be a second option and he hasn't been playing well there's been bane helping john moran with the grizzlies um i've been very impressed with um, uh, Jokic, you know, with the Nuggets, because Michael Porter Jr. has been the most disappointing player of the season. Because a lot of people didn't really talk about Jokic being in that MVP conversation. They was like, oh, he's the most forgotten MVP, even though he won it last year and everything. But him just leading in statistical categories for his team, every statistical category, Jokic is leading that and has been playing really good. If it wasn't for his play, we won't know where the Nuggets is going to be at. Will Bond been playing good, too. But Michael Porter Jr. just been really disappointed, not because of the war change, because, 
you know, you expect him to be the second artist. He's not living up to it. He's not improving his game at all. So that really just disappoints me. So those are a couple of players I've been watching, you know, that's been really impressive. Tyler Hero, I can go on about him because he played horrible last year, and now he's on the bench. He probably could win six man of the year. You know, him and Melo are like kind of neck and neck right now because, you know, Melo have been playing good, even though the Lakers is not that great of a team right now. But Tyler Hero has been just playing like wonderful, you know, for the Heat team. Yeah. And yeah. You, know, you know what's been the most impressive about Tyler Hero is the simple fact that we thought it was crazy coming into the season that he said he feels like he's in the same light as Luca, uh, as Trey Young. Like when you talk about those guys, you should be talking about Tyler Hero. And ever since then, he's been playing like you should be talking about him. So I definitely have to give him credit. Uh, I was very critical on him last year. You know, after what he did on the finals, I expected him to build on that. And it was prior to taking into the fact that he really didn't have an offseason. Uh, COVID was a huge factor last year. We're seeing it this year. Um, that people are going into protocols. But last year was a huge factor. Uh, and even the aftermath on dealing with, not only do you have COVID, so you're quarantined for two weeks, but even just dealing with the aftermath of COVID and, and having COVID-19, period. And obviously, it started kind of hitting me different because I ended up also catching COVID. Um, this was prior to anybody getting any type of vaccinations or anything. But I had COVID too, and I started to realize like it has some short to long-term effects. And so... You see the athletes and you're like, you look at them as almost invincible and then you expect them to bounce right back after quarantine. And you're like, man, like their lungs ain't working the same. There's a lot of different factors to bounce back. And Tyler Heroes play absolutely amazing. Another guy that I got to put on my most impressive list and we'll get in here. Maybe he doesn't deserve to be in here because we always expect him to impress us. But it's Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is still averaging 28 points, eight rebounds and five assists a game. Kevin Durant is putting up numbers, best player in the league type of numbers. Um, you know, going into the preseason, people had a tough time on whether it was KD or, you know, LeBron or Giannis as, as their best player. They had him as one, two, and three. I had Giannis one, KD two, LeBron three, uh, as far as my preseason player rankings uh, coming into this year. But KD, the rules haven't affected him. His game looks the same. He looks more efficient. And one thing KD has built his game on, is efficiency. And so the the way KD is playing, I think it's been absolutely amazing because they've still been able to win games as much as we criticize James Harden and how much he has to get used to, to, to the new rule change and everything like that. I still look at KD and I'm like, well, at the end of the day, no Kyrie and James Harden having to get used to the, to the rule change. And he's keeping the Brooklyn Nets afloat. So Erson, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on Kevin Durant up to this point in the season? Well, you, you nailed it on that, man. I think Kevin Durant is the best scorer in the league at this moment. I mean, he had, prior to the game uh, that's playing uh, right now, you know, he had 99 field goals made, leading the NBA. And as you said, he's very efficient, man, shooting 57% overall from the floor. I think in that argument, who's better, Giannis or KD? I think you have an argument for both, man. I would rather go for Giannis with his uh, ring in recent memory, you know, but I wouldn't argue with anyone saying KD is better than Giannis or Giannis better than KD. They're both, I think, on the same level, man. It's tier one, Giannis and KD, and tier two is kind of empty. And tier three, that's where the rest starts, man. Those two guys are dominating the league. And then being in the Eastern Conference makes it even better, you know? Yeah. And those two guys makes it in the Eastern Conference, makes it even 
a bigger accomplishment what Miami is doing right now, you know, dominating the league. And they lost to who? To Indiana? Yeah. And the rest, they only beat tough, tough opponents, you know. If you look at uh, that uh, schedule uh, ranking, you know, who has the toughest schedule? I think uh, Miami beat them up, man. Jazz on the road. I think they meet the Nets as well, right? So, mm-hmm. I think in the league is in a good spot, man. But KD, as you said, the real ones, the real big players will never get too much affected by these rule changes, man. And KD is proving why he's the best, or one of the best at this moment. Yeah, and like you said, you hit a key point, and, it, and it's not to knock some of these other players, but um, if we go back to how I am, I'm very tough on the word superstar. I, I, I think it gets thrown around too much, just like the word GOAT. GOAT yeah. gets thrown around too much because we find a GOAT in the moment and GOAT literally means greatest of all time. That is what the terminology means. But we find the GOAT in the moment. A guy will drop 30 and we'll label him the GOAT. Like, a guy will, will have a, a top sports center top 10 play number one on a Saturday night and we're like, oh, GOAT. And so GOAT gets thrown around too loosely and I think the word superstar gets thrown around too loosely. My, my definition of a superstar... Uh, JP, before I talk to you about KD, but my definition of a superstar, I think you have to be the best player on a team that can win a championship. Really, you have to be the best player on a team that has won a championship. Prior to last season, going into the postseason, I didn't consider Giannis a superstar. A lot of other people did, but based on my criteria for what I got to consider a superstar, Giannis hadn't done that yet. He hadn't been the best player on a championship team. And now that he's done that, He's thrown himself in the superstar status. And there's only a few, there's a select few other guys alongside of that. And that is LeBron James, that is Kawhi Leonard, that is Steph Curry, and that is Kevin Durant. Those are the only other guys who could physically active players right now say that they were the best player on a team that could win a championship. Because either A, you're trying to prove it, Dame Lillard, Nikola Jokic, Anthony Davis. Like, we need Anthony Davis to be better than ultimately... LeBron James, uh, Russell Westbrook, Paul George. We could go deep down the line of high-caliber all-stars because I don't think that that certain guys should be at all-star level or all on the same level. I think there's tiers. But those five guys, to me, are ranked ahead more than anybody. So, JP, when I talk about Kevin Durant, I think he is one of the five superstars in this league up to this point. What has impressed you most about KD through the first three weeks of the NBA season? And KD is like my MVP for the season. I said it before the season started. I feel like he's going to have like an incredible season just the way that he is. Um, why I've been really impressed about him, I mean, he's one of the – he's probably the toughest player to guard. A guy 6'11 that can handle the basketball, that can shoot the basketball. I saw him play against the Detroit Pistons where, you know, K Cunningham played really good defense on KD, but KD with just that length and just the way he shoots the ball still got it over Cade. And he's just so tough, and he's just really trying to will his team to wins and stuff. Uh, even though James Harden is struggling, they don't really have a lot of a lot of go-to options in terms of scoring for the Nets and all that. They're playing really good defensively, but offensively they are struggling. And KD is just keeping them afloat, just scoring 28, 30 points a game. 
um, just trying to will his team to victory and all that. And like I say, he's not complaining. He's not being sensitive. He's not going back and forth like you see him go on social media and everything. He's just playing ball. He's just still being professional when they keep asking him about the Kyrie question. They say, yeah, of course, we want him back and everything. Just being professional about it. He ain't going to he ain't going to let off his feelings and all that. So but he's just been just unbelievable just so far, you know, even though Brooklyn's kind of stolen, but they're kind of picking it back up and everything. So. Yes. We, we, we talked about some of the most impressive guys. So before we get into what could be uh, an hour conversation, what could be a three hour conversation, it just depends on how strong you feel about it. I got my guys in here. We're all Eastern conference fans of our team. Everybody knows how I feel about Miami. Miami is one of the best teams in the league. Um, but JP, your team has had some problems, had some players only meetings, so we'll get into them. Erson, I'm going to talk to you first, so let's talk about the New York Knicks. Uh, they're sitting at 6-3. Oh. and three. Uh, we're, we're all a part of Knicks Twitter at this point. Anybody who's over there at a, a part of Off the Ball Network, quick plug, go to offtheballnetwork.com for all your sports needs and entertainment. But anybody who's a part of Off the Ball Network is kind of a part of Knicks Twitter because if you're not directly like me, who I'm not directly a part of, I'm connected to Urson and, you know, the president of Off the Ball Network, my guy Chris, and, you know, uh, homies over there, Knicks fans, Wildin and Juan and, and, and Mario. So we're, we're directly connected. We see the tweets. We see the interaction. I, I, I follow my guys and I value their word. The Knicks are sitting at six and three. And Urson, you're a Knicks fan, so I'm going to ask you. But you get mixed feelings about how people feel about the Knicks right now, right? Because what I've watched, they played good ball. Have they dropped a dud and lost to the Orlando Magic? Yeah, that's what any good team does. It happens. It's early in the season. And when it comes to the regular season, sometimes when you come off a big victory, it's tough to get pumped up for a team like the Orlando Magic on a random Tuesday night, non-nationally televised game. It's tough to tell Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett, who R.J. Barrett's been playing out of his mind, by the way. He might be one of the most improved players uh, he might be le the lead candidate as far as most improved players, if you ask me. But it's tough to talk to, you know, tell the Knicks, like, they're a great team. They they, they went to the playoffs. Uh, you know, obviously it didn't end how we how, how Knicks fans would want it to end or whatever. Against the Hawks, we thought it'd be a little more competitive. But at the same time, they're looking on building on, on what was last year. Making it to the playoffs. Yeah, you lost the first round. Who cares? Last year is last year. How can we be better this year? And the Knicks have been playing really good ball. They've dropped a couple games where you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe a good team like that drops. But that happens during the season. Like, nobody, we're not looking at the Lakers much different, and, and maybe we should be in panic mode about the Los Angeles Lakers. LeBron's hurt. Russell Westbrook isn't playing consistent. AD isn't dominating the way we need him to, minus LeBron James. But at the same time, you still see that championship pedigree, and you know that you trust that the Lakers get it done when it matters. The Knicks are built for the regular season, and I think what they're working on now is to be built to last in the postseason, win a first-round yeah. matchup, you know, compete in the second round if you can't win that matchup, or make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. So, Ursa, what you've seen so far from the Knicks, what has most impressed you about your Knicks, and, and what is the biggest thing that you're looking at the Knicks like they need to fix while it's early before we start talking about it when it becomes too late to start trying to get the kinks out on becoming a championship contending team. Yeah, for sure, bro. But I'm going to take it one step back because 
if you look at Nick's Twitter, there's a whole narrative of Nick's Twitter is very volatile, man. It is after the Orlando loss, it was all you know salty and everyone's upset, and after that big W against the the Bucks, you know, it was all the other way around. So, but I think the in the if you look at overall Nick's Twitter and Nick's fans overall, it is last season wasn't really expected, man. I think we're one season ahead of our development because never no one expected this team to be the fourth seed and make it to the playoffs. And even if you make it to the playoffs, maybe if you had a play-ins. So that was a huge surprise. I think the team wasn't even built for the playoffs. And I think if you look at that team, Reggie Bullock, Frank Nikina, are they playoff type of players carrying a team? No, they aren't. Burks. No, they really aren't, man. Because if you look at that rebuild, it's all about RJ Barrett. And Julius Randle, those two guys at number one, number two. I think this offseason has been magical, man. I think bringing home Kemba to New York has been a big move. Even if he's not going to play 82 games, you know, but who cares? You got Derrick Rose, who's also one of the, the frontrunners for six men of the year. How he's impacting the team. You know, he's playing 22 minutes a game and he's averaging 40, 50, 40 step line as per now. Man, I think that's absolutely crazy, man. And if you look at this plus minus, he was leading the league eventually, you know, with Jokic head at head in terms of plus minus. And he's playing 20 minutes a game. So he's really impacting the unit with his game, the game with that second unit. And if you look at the Knicks for this season, it's all about three-point shooting, man. It was the last season where all in the signs of we're going to shoot more and more threes because we were really good at it. You know, eventually it was the Knicks at number one in three-point percentage, man. And it was also in the top five in the defense exercise, also T-points, Percentage allowed. So the three-point percentage actually was the key of success were those three-point shooters, man. Because if you look at the perimeter, it's all about Mitchell Robinson. I think Julius Randle needs to be better, you know, from mid-range and around the rim. But the three-point shooting has been good, man. And this team has some good three-point shooters. I think if you look at this season, the reason that we the, – the games that we lost, I think the Orlando was a trap game, man. You played them on the road. You absolutely destroyed them, and you know you're playing them again after the same a couple of days. For the coach, it's easy, you know. He's going to take okay. What did we wrong? Three point shooting allowing. Okay, we're going to we're going to keep them out of the game. We're going to swarm the paint and let them shoot threes. And if they miss, it's a home run for us. And that's exactly what happened. Man. And the Indiana game was another example of that. It was a it was an L. I think Indiana in the first half hit literally everything. That they shot, it was absolutely crazy. Man, some of these shots were like bad shot selection, but it went in. But those types of games, as you said, Mo, you can lose them. That's not the problem at all. I think the reason the Knicks sit on six and three right now because the offense has gotten a lot better, the defense has gotten worse. But it's not a problem as per now. You know, I think the biggest problem for the Knicks team as per now is how we're going to fit these guys into that ten-man rotation Thibodeau is playing with. I think Kemba's not going to play every night. I think in the Cavs game, he's going to play now. Kemba's not there. But that's okay, because you weren't counting on him to play 82 games, you know. But Derrick Rose has been a big, big plus, you know, because if you look at this roster, a lot of rookies, Deuce McBride, Quentin Grimes, who are not playing at this moment. Emmanuel Clicky hasn't had the best start shooting-wise. But defensively, all these guys are doing better. I think the key of success for the Knicks team this season is going to be the second unit. Because in every game the Knicks lost, the starting unit, except Mitchell Robinson, shot below 50%. And the second unit was there with the box score showed that. The game even shows that defensively they were given a lot more effort. Shots weren't falling, but that's okay. It's the start of the season. I wasn't really expecting this kind of record, man, to be honest. I had the Knicks projected 41 to 44 wins, maybe 
just about plus 500, you know, make it to the sixth seed, seventh seed, eighth seed was even good, but because I don't think development should be measured by wins, you know, development should be measured by, okay, how is this team going to do in the long term with the pieces that we added, you know, Kemba is there, but Kemba is a day older, how is he going to do in one, two years, you know, via the draft, you got some solid picks, Mitchell Robinson is going to be a key year for him, some of them even say he's going to be in contender for defensive player of the year. Early signs showing that he might be one. So I think this Knicks team had a lot of puzzle pieces, but they need to put, get put together, man. I think we're on a good road. But for me, to be honest, if we end up with 45 wins, maybe six or seven seeds, I'm really satisfied with that, man. Because if you want to win a championship, I think Miami is the best example of that one. They assembled the big three, and it took time, you know, because... You expect results immediately. The Lakers do that as well. And that's why it's not working over there. Because if you want results immediately, that's not the way to build a championship team. And I think the, the Knicks are one season ahead of their development. But I I think we need one more season to really make that run to the Eastern Conference Finals, maybe the NBA Finals. I think this season is all about getting to the playoffs, winning a playoff round, and being competitive, man. Just like Atlanta did last season. Because I didn't really expect Atlanta to be Eastern Conference Finals, you know, because Philly could have actually won that series and they let it slip. It wasn't like the Hawks really, really, really deserved it, you know, because they deserved it because they eventually won. But, you know, that Philly team was all about that. It wasn't good, man. I think if the Knicks played Philadelphia, the Knicks would at least bring it to seven games, you know, whether win it or lose it. So there has been a lot of factors last season. The Knicks were, you know, deserving to be the fourth spot. But it wasn't really expected. I think that's the key key indicator in this one. You never, no one expected this team to be that good. And this season, every Knicks fan expects this team to be really good. But I think that's one season too too soon, man. We got to be baby steps, you know. Development comes with baby steps. Yeah, and I, I'm huge on that. Um, Ursa, you kind of hit it on the head, especially when you talk about like I don't think you just jump unless you make drastic moves that turns you into a championship team. I don't think while building a championship contender, you go from not making the playoffs to making the playoffs, losing the first round to boom. Now I'm a championship contender. Now I can play for a championship. Now the expectations in NBA finals, I think it's building blocks. And like you said, like I think the ultimate six, I mean the ultimate success for any team is winning a championship, right? But only one team can win a championship. So to value that any other team that didn't win a championship had no success in the season it's not fair because there, there's levels to success and, and winning a championship is the ultimate level to success. And I'm with you, Erson. Like, I think, like, the Knicks need to look at uh, building because, like you said, you can look at it half the, the glass half empty or half full right now. The offense is looking a lot better. The defense is taking a step back. But you're talking about one of the top three defenses in the NBA last season might be taking a step back to where they're anywhere from seven to yeah. ten. So you're still talking about a top ten defense in the league. But you're also talking about one of the bottom, I ain't going to say bottom, bottom, but you're talking about like middle of the pack offenses take, taking a step to that lower upper echelon yeah. of offenses. So it takes time. You added Kimba Walker. Kimba and Derrick Rose got to figure out, you know, how to bounce off each other at point guard. R.J. Barrett is taking a step. Uh, you added Evan Fournier. Julius Randle as a point forward, point forward-ish, has to figure out how to, you know, ultimately – get the guys to the ball. You know, you you have a, a, a fairly different roster, so it takes a lot of time to ultimately adjust. So like you said, I think the focus for the Knicks needs to be play the regular season like you did last year, 
um, be as great as possible in the regular season. But the ultimate goal is like, let's win a playoff series and then see where we're at from there. If we get the right matchup, the expectation could be Easter Conference Finals, but it's not an Easter Conference Finals or NBA Finals appearance or bust for the New York Knicks. I think it's just building blocks. And so if you can win a playoff series, like, okay, you already built off of what happened last year. So now you go into next year with higher expectations. So I'm definitely big on that. JP, the Miami Heat have looked amazing. The New York Knicks have kind of looked how anyone would expect them to look, even with new pieces. They're still one of the, the better teams in the Easter Conference. And then we have JP, who the Boston Celtics have a good roster. Let's just get that out the way. They have two top-tier wing players um, that if they weren't on the Celtics, all the 29 other teams would love to have in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Uh, they got Dennis Schroeder. They got Marcus Smart. You know, they brought back Al Horford. Like, they have some pieces that any other team not named the Boston Celtics would would ultimately love to have. But, JP, there's been some problems. They haven't felt like they've been as successful up to this point as they feel like they should. Marcus Smart feels like he's kind of – his role in the office has diminished, and he spoke on it. They had a players-only meeting, and it's kind of fairly early to be having a players-only meeting to ultimately figure out the kinks. But it's also a good sign that you have guys mature enough to, to raise awareness and have a players only meeting. Let's get the kinks out now before we get too deep into the season and we start falling behind the curve because all these other teams who have championship aspirations are starting to figure it out. So JP, what has been the biggest thing this early in the season, the first three weeks that, that you're that you've seen in your Boston Celtics? Um, you know, they're struggling offensively. Jason Tatum is struggling with the new rule changes. He's another one of those star players that's struggling in terms of offense. Uh, Jay LaBamba has been playing terrific, though. He'll have some games where he might be a little inconsistent and everything. But, you know, with him being injured last night, it's like Jason Tatum got to take the – Take the role would be the first option and everything. But, yeah, but the Marcus Smart thing, because everybody been talking about, oh, we need to trade Marcus Smart. You know, he's no good for the Celtics and all that. Marcus Smart is the heart and soul and the emotional leader of the Celtics, just like Draymond Green is with the Warriors. If we take a Marcus Smart and trade him to another team and all that, we don't have a heart and soul and an emotional player on that Boston Celtic team. We don't have no size. We don't have like a defensive type of guy, you know, that's like big enough to go against like the MBs and the Jokic and everything. Everybody kept talking about Miles Tunnel being that Boston Celtic, you know, big man that could help and all that. And they've just been teasing in and out and that's not going to happen. Al Holford, you know, someone was talking about Al Holford would really help with the Celtics. Al Holford didn't do anything in Philadelphia and OKC and he came back with the Celtics, played a little bit better, but Still not like, you know, he's older now, so it's like we don't expect a lot from our whole – plus we're playing with a rookie uh, head coach, you know, like, you know, it's going to take time for the rookie head coach to, you know, blend that chemistry with, um, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and everything, but we'd be playing a lot of iso ball a lot. And instead of moving the ball when we was in the Eastern Conference, uh, when we was in the Eastern Conference uh, finals and everything, we was moving the ball around and everybody, everybody got the touches. Now it's just like, well, it's just like everybody has to depend on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to do the scoring because we 
bulk up on the defensive part in the offseason. They didn't really get like an offensive type of player and everything. If they could get like an offensive facilitator that could help J Jason uh, Tatum and Jalen Brown to score easier, then that would be fantastic. But we we just got like a lot of rebuilding. We just got Brad Stevens into the president. We don't have Danny Ainge anymore, even though that was, you know, like a good or bad move. You could take it however you want it and everything. But um, it, it's just going to be a struggle. I even said that the Knicks was going to be a lot better than the Celtics and all that, and people thought I was crazy, you know. So we could still be a playoff team. Um, we'll probably be a low seed if Jason Tatum and Jaden Brown stay consistent and stay healthy and put up, like, you know, numbers. Like, they have – both of them have to put up over 25 a game just for us to go into, you know, just to be up there in terms of, like, the Eastern Conference and all that. Or we could be a playing team, or we could miss the playoffs if we don't play really well. But, yeah, with just the internal struggles and the players only meeting we had, you know, it's good because, like, nobody didn't really respond back to Marcus Smart which is great because that would create a lot more drama with the Boston Celtics organization. And, you know, they've been playing very well. You know, they got, they beat, you know, the Miami Heat. They, you know, they beat Orlando, Orlando Magic. who have been playing all right this season and all that. You know, they played well against the uh, Mavericks and Luka Doncic just had to hit the Don Buzzer Beetle two years in a row in my face, which I'm still not going to recover after last night and everything. So, but, I mean, they've been playing very well. I mean, they just blow big leads and just they just go downhill from there. So, you know, I'm not really surprised they're in this predicament. They just got to figure it out. Yeah, I definitely agree. So, you know, I, I look at the Boston Celtics, and I always feel like, you know, the past couple of years they haven't reached expectations. But maybe we need to lower our expectations, but we're so used to the storied franchise and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like, we raise our expectations on how good those players are, but maybe we need to set it back a little bit. So before we go, guys, let's just get into the let, let's get into the juicy stuff. Let, let's get into the get us riled up. Um, Urson, I know this player plays for a team who is a, a conference foe, an area foe, a division foe, the Philadelphia 76ers. We see a lot of things happening, but now like the season started in the Ben Simmons saga slowed down, right? But then it comes back yeah. out. They, they had to put themselves back in the news. They decided they're going to start finding Ben Simmons until he decides to ultimately see the team doctors to deal with his, his mental health. And so before we get into this topic, I'm going to throw out there. Mental health is, is, is a very tricky subject to get into. Um, I'm one. I've had to see a therapist. Uh, mental health, whether you know you're struggling or not, you end up struggling, right? But Philly is going about it that, hey, if, if you're struggling mentally, come see our team doctors so we can kind of know what's going on, figure it out, and we can help you. Well, Ben Simmons, I think, is in the middle of, like, he's struggling mentally, but at the same time, like, he's doing what he can to not play in Philly. Like, I think that's the ultimate goal. I think we all know at this point it's not, you know, breaking news or, you know, it's national, you know, understanding that Ben Simmons doesn't want to play in Philadelphia. So, JP, I'm going to start with you. Uh, they have now decided to start finding, you know, Ben Simmons. So what's next for Philadelphia and Ben Simmons? I mean, you know, if you're getting fined $360,000 each game, you play and everything. I mean, you know, the best thing, I guess Philadelphia's they will, they're thinking you might as well just go ahead and play because we ain't going to trade you anytime soon. 
you know, that's their fault for not trading him. Because when you say, when you see he don't want to be in Philadelphia, he really don't want to be in Philadelphia. So I don't know why you keep playing this game of like, well, you, you know, you, you're you not going to get traded. Oh, we need you for the 70, Philadelphia 76 team. They really don't need them because they're the best. They're, you know, looking at the power anchors today, they're number one. Um, they're not great. I mean, they're not playing good defensively. You know, if Ben Simmons was with Philadelphia, oh, if it's if it's playing, he'd be. You know, that defense would go up. But offensively, they they don't really need him. Hey, and be struggling. But like, you got the Tobias Harris and the Seth Curry's. Max Max is playing good too as well. So the offense is there, and Doc Rivers is still coaching. But yeah, this Ben Simmons. I mean, I always said like, you know. When, you know, Doc Willis came out with that, you know, throw Ben Simmons underneath the bus, that's going to affect him mentally because, like, it, you see that he just doesn't want to be in Philadelphia and he just wants to go to another team so he can have a fresh start and everything. But with uh, Daryl Moore and just keep playing the cards and going to these teams and say, well, we can we need this, 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 this and this to fool, fool you to get a Ben Simmons and everything. And. You know, you're looking at this point where you didn't trade him or anything, and he just doesn't want to be there. You see, he got his cell phone in his pocket. You see, he's not like you know functioning with the team and all that. But now you're gonna find him three hundred sixty thousand dollars. I think it's just kind of just crazy, you know, because y'all did it to yourselves. I mean, you know, like I said, Ben didn't really play well in the playoffs and all that. That's his fault too, as well. So it, it's just it's just unbelievable that you know they have to be in this mess. It's like, dude, just if he doesn't want to be there, just get him to a team, okay? Like move on from this uh, drama and all that because it's just going to make it worse and everything. So, so, so I, I didn't prepare y'all for this. So I'm you know before I move on to Urson, JB, I'm gonna throw you under the bus. <laughs> give me a destination for Ben Simmons and give me a package. That's acceptable for a team taking on Ben Simmons and his contract. In your opinion, uh, kind of take the salary cap out of it because that you know, since I threw you under the bus, you weren't prepared. We're not bringing salary cap into it, but give me a team that should take on Ben Simmons and and he would benefit and also would benefit from a trade package for Philly received back from Ben Simmons. So tell me. What you think the best package for that would be if you could draw it up and you're a GM? What would you accept as the Philly GM as Daryl Morey? What would you accept back for Ben Simmons? I mean, one of the teams I was looking at would be Portland. You know, it could be like, you know, for Dame Lillard, you know, because Dame Lillard, you could just, you know, even though he's struggling, you know, and he keeps saying that he's loyal to Portland. I just don't think mentally he just doesn't want to be in Portland because they're just a bad team. He's looking for a championship contender. So why not, you know, trade for Ben Simmons and a couple of draft picks, you know, that you have to get a Dame Lillard to Philadelphia that could help Embiid and they could be a championship contender team for the Eastern Conference because you ain't going to beat the Brooklyn Nets. You ain't going to beat the Bucks. Um, Chicago, maybe, just maybe. But if I if I was Portland, I would just pull that trade because Portland ain't going to be like a playoff team unless like, you know, McCollum and, you know, McCollum plays really well and that team plays really well. That could be a load seed, but I could see that. You know, we was talking about Golden State Warriors before the season that Ben could be a beneficial, you know, to it. You know, it's like, who would you trade away for it? And they're playing really good right now, so I wouldn't even ruin that chemistry with the Warriors and all that. I mean, it could be just like any team that I could, you know, that I could 
just put my hands on that could be just like a really good idea. You know, Sacramento Kings could be a, you know, valuable option. Get yourself like a Buddy Hill because he doesn't want to be in Sacramento, but he's playing really well. That could be like another good option for Ben Simmons just to get him out of there, you know. Um, you know, another team, I mean, Brooklyn Nets, maybe, you know, like, you know, dip. Maybe Brooklyn Nets. I mean, hey, James Harden, Daryl Morley, going back to you know, going back to going back together, creating that relationship, could play with someone with an Embiid and everything. I mean, I could see that. You know, I could see that could be a beneficial option and all that. So, um, you know, those are a couple of teams I could see though. But um, you know, the most I would say would be Portland. Okay, so Erson, before I go to you, before we close out the yeah. show, I'm gonna go to you and kind of. I'll let you touch on the Ben Simmons, but I more so want to hear, you know, your 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 trade value for Ben Simmons. I'm going to say the Cleveland Cavaliers make the most sense. Uh, I look at the teams who have physically come out and we know, knowingly are interested. Colin Sexton for Ben Simmons straight up almost makes the most sense, but because I value Ben Simmons a little more, uh, I think you're going to have to figure out swaps of draft picks, future draft picks, um, maybe I think like a Ben Simmons and two first round picks and maybe future swaps for a Colin Sexton and Kevin Love. I think that makes the most sense for Philly and for Cleveland. Cleveland said they were ultimately interested in Ben Simmons. Cleveland would get, I mean, and Philly would get Kevin Love to go alongside Tobias Harrison, Joel Embiid. Uh, you could play Tobias Harris at the three. So I think Tobias Harris makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think Kevin Love makes a lot of sense because you can have him starting at the four, Harris at the three, uh, and beat at the one, but then, I mean, at the five. But then we look at Colin Sexton and, like, what was Philly missing? Philly missing was missing a guy who could get his own bucket. And that's exactly what Colin Sexton could do. Uh, I agree with you on Portland, um, you know, JP, but I think it's, it's CJ McCollum, not Dame Lillard. Like, I, I just don't know... Because of everything that Dame Lillard has preached, I don't know that Portland's going to give him up, but maybe they try and help Dame Lillard out, and they're like, you know what? We're willing now to give up CJ. For Ben Simmons, if Dame Lillard signs off on that, I think he has that kind of power. We'll have to sign off on that. So I think it's more CJ McCollum, not Dame Lillard. I think we would all love to see Dame in Philly, but I don't think Portland would love to see Dame in Philly, and I don't know if Philly would be willing to give up what it would cost to get Dame because I think it's more than Ben Simmons and draft picks. I think it's Ben Simmons, Tyrese Maxey, Ty Bull, and maybe two first-round picks uh, for Damian Lillard. And I don't know if Philly's willing to give that up. But at the same time, if they could get a C.J. McCollum, I think it'll take less maybe Simmons, you know, Maxey, a first-round pick, and then a couple in, in for, for McCollum and some pick swaps or whatever. You know, you figure that out, the details. But... I think that's more closer to Philly's speed as far as what they could get is more Sexton or McCollum as opposed to Damian Lillard. I love the Buddy Hield, but I think if they're giving up Ben, I just I think Tyree Maxey has been really good, but I don't know if I trust him fully as my all time, you know, full time point guard right now for a Buddy yeah, Hield to be effective. He's effective alongside De'Aaron Fox. I don't know if I trust Tyrese Maxey to be my full time and Shake Milton to be my full-time point guards to get, you know, Buddy Hield in his spots. Because De'Aaron Fox is getting Buddy Hield and, and Harrison Barnes in their spots to get the best shots. I just don't know if Tyrese Maxey or, or Shake Milton are there yet. So, Ursa, before we close out of here, uh, Ben Simmons, give me your best package. Where do you where do you think makes the most, Simmons, most sense for Simmons to land and for a team to trade for him? Give me your package. 
Well, actually, I think San Antonio Spurs, man, to be honest. I think he fits perfectly in that system, you know, slowly develop them because defensively he fits right in the philosophy, man. I think for Philadelphia, it fits them as well. They can get DeJounte Murray. They can get maybe Devin Vassell as an extra prospect. They can throw in picks. I'm thinking about a team with Calvin Johnson, with Josh Primo at the two, slowly developing. With Ben Simmons, can you play at the one, the two, the three, the four? Hey, they might find them system to play at the five, you know, because San Antonio is rebuilding. They need that star. They don't have that star anymore. They're creating their own stars. And they have enough assets to acquire uh, Ben Simmons, you know, because if I look at that whole saga, I was high on the second man of Kings as well, but the Kings are doing good, man. They're, that team sits right there. It's good, you know, even if they can get Ben Simmons now, they shouldn't be doing that because they're playing good right now. But San Antonio Spurs, they're rebuilding. You know, the 2022 draft has a lot of big men. They will likely get a deep lottery pick. So all the circumstances make sense for them. And I think San Antonio isn't in a worry, you know, isn't in a rush. So they can wait it out. Because Philadelphia keeps shooting himself and themselves in the foot. So the Spurs are waiting out. Okay, I'm going to make this... Uh, them an offer when they are the most vulnerable, and that's not right now, you know, because everything can happen. He can play games, maybe after the Austin games, who knows? Because it's, it's a game of bluff, man. I think it's a game of bluff that the Sixers are going to lose whatever they lose, because eventually they lose a lot of value, they lose a number one pick, they lose all these years of investments in that guy, all these years of prime, you know, prime MB not winning a ring, so they already lost, you know, because they can get some, uh, maybe some, some picks, some draft swaps, and start over again. You know. So. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you. And so, closing out, hey everybody, I appreciate you for tuning in and listening here on Nothing But Net Radio on Nothing But Net Channel on Dash Radio. I got my guy JP, aka the franchise over there off the ball network. I got my guy Urson. AKA the overseas prospect guru. Make sure you go check out both of their work. Check out JP at JP franchise 57. Make sure you go follow him at it's just JP. Uh, as far as his YouTube who Mr. 20 K viewers, we got to give him his credit. He does what he does and everybody loves what he does. So we got to give him his credit. Make sure you go follow Urson. Listen, he breaks down prospects uh, at E Demir NBA. Make sure you go check that out. He, he breaks down all his prospects. He gives you video detail and proof that what he's not talking about is BS because he, he goes into grave detail and breaks it down. Um, he's, he's kind of becoming a trending scout on Twitter, and we are lucky to claim we are lucky enough to claim him over here at Off the Ball Network. So before anybody wants to grab him, you got to come through me because he ain't going nowhere. He's a valuable asset. And then as for me, make sure you go follow me at UpperFlamesPod on Twitter, Instagram. At Mo underscore cheese 15 on Insta on Twitter and Instagram. And make sure you go to off the ball network.com for all your sports season entertainment. And on that note, up in flames is out.